0: Listening to a My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Cameron Barrett, and you have joined My Safe LA's Fire and Life Safety Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, having a listen today. We're continuing with our January Northridge uh, 20 Years Ago Remembrance Series, and we are really fortunate today to be joined by somebody who was instrumental in helping save lives that day. He is retired assistant chief of the Los Angeles Fire Department, Robert DeFeo, um, a good friend of mine and a fellow Rhode Islander, I would like to add, who had turned his back on Rhode Island by the time the Northridge earthquake hit in 1994 and was already an established expert in urban firefighting at that time. Thank you so much, Chief, for joining us. It's an honor to be with you here today.
1: You're welcome. I'm glad to be here.
0: So, um, tell us a little bit. Let's set the scene a little bit. January seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. What was your rank and and your assignment that day?
1: I was the uh, battalion chief at that time, assigned to Battalion Five A in Hollywood.
0: So you were in Hollywood, but we don't really um, think of the Northridge earthquake as affecting Hollywood that much. We always think of it as affecting the valley.
1: No, it Um, did tremendous damage in Hollywood. Cause right. I, was, I, was, I, yeah, I, I was home, and I forget, the time four thirty-five o'clock, and it shook me out of bed, the earthquake itself. I got up and did a search around the house, turned on the TV, and none of the TV channels were working. So I told my wife, wow, this is a big one, and it's probably happened in L.A., and I'm, I'm going to go to work. And so she said, well, God bless, and uh, I headed into town.
0: How far away were you living? I mean, how far did miles. you feel? Wow. Thirty five miles. it was that violent that it Oh, absolutely,
1: wrong. yeah. And I checked the house to make sure the gas lines and the water lines were intact because uh, that would, that's the first thing that probably goes on. And, and the house had, uh, well, although it had been hit and the water was sloshing in the pool, there was no structural damage that I could see to the house. So I started right. up, and I was I was actually going to work that day anyway because there was an A shift coming on that day.
0: What time did you leave the house? When, as you drove I, I,
1: in? Yeah, I you probably left at 4:45, 5 yeah. o'clock. I'm not really familiar with the, like, in, in deal, but it was real early. I just it was right after the right after the the earthquake happened. So I started in, knowing that it was going to be a big one. I've been to a couple of them before, the Loma Prieta, not the Loma Prieta, but the, uh, the Whittier, and uh, there's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of them that we'd happened before. So yeah, nothing of this happen. consequence, though. Nothing of this consequence.
0: Right. So when you were driving in, did you get any kind of forewarning? I mean, could you hear any kind of reporting on the radio on your way? Well, in? the radio
1: was going on, but they didn't know either. You know, they were just kind of getting, it happened so quickly, they were just kind of getting in the information mode itself. But just now the tone of the radio reports, you knew it was going to be pretty bad and that it was centered in the valley.
0: Mm-hmm. So when did you, uh, you ended up being in charge of probably the most iconic destructive,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah, area uh, that day, which was the Northridge Meadows Apartment Complex. We've yeah. all seen those pictures. You ended up being incident commander there, is that right?
1: Yes, I did. And uh, I'll tell you how I got to that. Yeah, it, how it, did you it, get there? I, I came up the 5 freeway. I get off at of Sunset to go to Battalion 5, which is stationed with Fire Station 27. And on Sunset Boulevard, you see a lot of debris in the streets. And I think, well, maybe it happened in Hollywood. And so... When I, got to batt- when I got to fire station 27, the B-shift commander uh, was following earthquake procedures and got in front of the station and had set up a command post to administer his battalion, Battalion 5. So when I pulled in, I said, Dennis, what? He says, I've got this here. So I call, I call our operation OCD, our operations control. And they said, we want you to go to the valley. That's where most of the deal is. And report to Division 3, which is at fire station 88. So um, my driver by that time had come in also, Billy Thost, so we got the battalion reserve sedan loaded with what equipment we needed, including our turnouts, because we didn't know what to expect, and went out to Division Three. Uh, when we got to Division Three, it was very turmoil. A lot of a lot of stuff just flowing around because of the consequences and all the information coming in, and they were just establishing a, a really a, a good command post. So the chief at that time um, sent me to. Uh, he sent me to the address on Reseda Boulevard telling me it was a uh, uh, an apartment house that had collapsed. And so I was, was a Young, Assistant Chief Young, sent me out there to collapse. I reported out there to Battalion 15, a guy named Schnitger, who was in charge of that area at that time. And he said, you better go over there sir, and tell me what's happening. So I went over to the uh, address, I forget what it was, 35-something on Reseda Boulevard, and as I pulled up, the sun's just coming up, and I'm, I'm looking over there, and a lot of a lot of action going, a lot of people moving around and everything. But I I look at the building, and it looked solid and solid to me. And uh, what the original captain on the job, one of the original responders, uh, Steve Baskin, was there, and I said, "Steve, what's the problem here? This doesn't look that bad." He says, "Oh, chief, it's a it's a three-story building, and I'm only looking at two stories now."
0: Oh so my. <laughs>
1: So right away, my uh, my level of my adrenaline started to pump, and I said, "Okay, we've got to set up a command post. We've got to start getting resources in because I knew there was people that were going to be trapped in the building itself." So I uh, I appointed Steve as my operations chief at that time, and so even even though Steve Steve was a captain too, but a very very competent outstanding captain, and so he started. So I said, "Okay, let's start a strategy. First of all." What is the damage to the building? How many people are trapped? Where are they? How can we find them? There's a whole series of things that enter my mind. Who are they? Where are they? What are they doing? The initial companies on scene, I didn't know what they were doing at that time. I think Fire Station 70 was in the uh, act of extracting a man from one side of the building itself who was trapped in his room. And so then we got to, uh, okay, I started settling down. I requested additional resources right away. I knew this was gonna be huge. Uh, sorry no resources available and I'm going whoa wait a minute you know I mean they would I mean the department is overwhelmed there's no question about it.
0: Chief that's sorry to interrupt but that's a really important point that you just brought up that I think a lot of people forget about is the the Los Angeles Fire Department like many large urban fire departments know that they are in something called a degraded mode when a really big disaster hits can you just explain that quickly
1: Well, you know, on a degraded mode, instead of if they had an alarm, instead of sending a a full first alarm, which would be two trucks and three engines, they'd probably just send a task force of truck and two engines. So, and so, and then from there, from there, it would build. You know, Ah. depending on what the person found, and that's what they did with me when they sent me out there. They really, truly were in a degraded mode, trying to scrambling, trying to find out exactly what had happened, where the. Where the uh, points were that were causing the most problem, and I think at that time they also had a rescue going on over at the Sherman, uh, Wood, uh, Sherman Woods Mall. There was somebody trapped in under the concrete parking structure, which had eaten up a lot of resources for that. So we were kind of stuck because they're on one side of the valley; we're on the other side of the valley. But we were able to, uh, as, as the messages went out and back and forth, uh, some of the guys on the other. And the other incidents started becoming available, and being firefighters the way they are and the captains the way they are, they gravitated toward the incident command, to, to our incident. Well, the, uh, in the meantime, while I was there with Steve, I set up an incident command system, which is the basis of everything we did on the fire department at that time. And you know, I, 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 re, I really was faithful to that system. So we set up the ability now to start moving people and in, in finding out what is wrong, find out if we can rescue people in the meantime the hard rescue is going on on the uh, south side. we've got another rescue going on on the second or third floor of a guy trapped behind a refrigerator and now the company started to come in so I divided this i divided it up into three three divisions at that time a b, and c i didn't i couldn't see the back so then we as the companies come in and I sign them uh, a three three person uh, three person investigation teams. One guy would be outside all the time on a radio. The other two would be checking inside the building itself. Now uh, to be find be, out, would that ahead. be to
0: keep them safe? You know, absolutely, case, you know, absolutely. Because yeah. Because
1: yeah, we. I mean, we didn't. I didn't know really how the building, the structure of the building itself, what was left, how safe it was, or whatever. But we still had. You know, that's our first thing is rescue. Rescue and then I mean rescue, rescue, rescue. That's what I was looking at in this particular incident. Could we rescue people who are still alive? And then what are we going to do with the people who are trapped and they're not going to make it out? Well, we were lucky. Ready to be you, right in front of the. Excuse me. Go ahead. Did
0: you know at Did you know at this time, Chief? You know how many people were in there? No. What kind of injuries they sustained? You didn't know yet.
1: No idea. It was. Yeah. It was. It was so fluid. It was so. Uh, it was such a, a catas- catastrophic event that you couldn't. Mm-hmm. And then the press started coming in, and they exacerbated it. Because they're oh, hanging right. around you, they're walking around, they're trying to get into the building itself to see. So uh, luckily I was able to get uh, LAPD, and they brought a couple of their sergeants over, and they straightened, the, they straightened that out right away and pushed them off to the side. And then we'll talk about press releases later on. But now in the meantime, well, uh, one of the – I think Paskin had sent somebody inside. Right in the front was the office. And he came out, and it was God bless, there was a schematic of the whole apartment there. Oh, so you wow, could see the hot was- rooms where they were. Yeah. So now uh, we, we determined that maybe uh, all of the all of the people had got out, or were being helped out. That could be that were ambulatory. So now, uh, what about people that were the people trapped? So we started in that deal. And what had happened to the building itself is, was what they call soft wall construction. So when the when it collapsed, it collapsed ten foot. Uh, it went right to one side and fell on itself. So the entire first floor was underneath the second and third floor. Would have pancaked. Pancaked, exactly. Wow. So using the schematic, now we started into the deal of opening up above the room on the first floor. You understand uh-huh. what I'm doing now? Uh, uh,
0: yeah. Uh-huh. So, you were so we took the schematic
1: and we started a room-to-room search. with, And the guys had chainsaws. I mean, it was, a, it was hard physical labor because of the construction of the building, even though it was soft wall, which it allowed it to collapse. In between the walls was poured concrete on the floors so they had to break through the concrete i mean it's a terrible job and now they start <clears throat> finding bodies mm-hmm. so uh you know and they they labor in the meantime now we're getting more resources in not so much from uh from the uh from from the command post although they are starting now to give us logistics support so which is means they're starting to bring heavy equipment in uh that they rented them um, I mean, time i'm i'm not really paying attention to that i, I want I'm, I'm focusing on what we're doing here. So mm-hmm. so we had set up the command post on the hood of the sedan, so we're working right off the hood of the sedan. Things are happening, and things are starting to starting to uh, tamper down, so now we can kind of handle on what we're doing because we're using the instant command system. And so, again, we still had those three divisions. I assigned... Uh, captains and at a time until I could get chiefs in to be division commanders or division supervisors. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, division supervisors make sure everything was happening within their divisions, and that there was that uh, attempted rescue or, as it turned out, body recovery uh, operation that we started.
0: How long did it take, Chief? How many bodies? How many how many people were were rescued? How many bodies were recovered?
1: Well, you know, the rescue was—we uh, never really did get a handle on the rescue because it was such a fluid deal, mm-hmm. and a lot of people self-rescued. I mean, there's no right. question they were able to get out of the second and third floors. I know the one hard rescue—two, three, four, five—what they call hard rescues, where—and that's my recollection—where we had to put companies or urban search and rescue teams in to get those people out. Now the other ones was the body deal, and I think we, when I was in command, we had we found 15 bodies. Wow. So in the meantime, now we're starting to now the county uh, urban search and rescue or cast force two came in to assist us, and we had already done two pretty thorough searches of the building, and we didn't think that anybody was still in the building itself. So they geared up, and while we continued our body recovery actions, they geared up for another search in the building itself using much more advanced techniques, with uh, the uh, you know the fiber optic TV, the mm-hmm, listening. Mm-hmm which we didn't have at that time, so... And I don't think it would have made, you know... Uh, they didn't find... they had Maybe, uh, I think they relieved me about two in the afternoon, and about five that night they found another victim. So they had... Uh, we had made two sweeps through. The police came with their dogs. They made one sweep through. And then the county came in and made them one sweep through, and they found another body eventually there, so... Mm-hmm. But wow. uh, that was that was pretty much the upshot of what we had done in that particular deal. But the incident command system was really the key to it because we were able to control people. We had that issue: who are they? Where are they? What are they doing? So we knew what they were doing. We had constant contact back and forth from the division supervisors on what on what they were finding and what uh, and how how they were moving through the system and and where where they were advancing to and what they had finished and what had they had left to do. So as the, they started. Uh, As the time started passing we uh, we were able to get more resources now the other part and I almost slipped right on by it across the street they set up a, a medical command post because they wow. were treating people for minor injuries there and the hospitals mm-hmm. were overwhelmed already so sure. the EMS para, uh, EMS supervisor at that time he handled most of that for me and if I remember dr. Uh, Used to be the physician for the department. I forget his name now, but he went over there, and so they did a lot of work over there, setting up and uh, you know tre- treating the minor injuries from mm-hmm. the incident itself, because a lot of people were scraped cuts, you know,
0: right, bruises right. And,
1: and everything. So, yeah. so, so yeah. It, it really, it, in the end, even though they were so chaotic at the beginning, by using the by using the incident command system getting all the divisions covered getting the medical deal up getting the police in and having them uh, take care of the security for us and we were able to we were able to handle it
0: yeah ics really does bring um it it really does bring a sense of order to
1: yeah like, you know that's what i always when i thought ics order to chaos
0: yeah it yeah.
1: really so it brings and you have to, but it's one of those systems you really have to push
0: you know right right people now, people want to so run reason? in and do
1: what they think needs to be done of
0: course and, and you they can't do they. that yeah. Citizen, yeah. Citizen rescues often turn into two recoveries, right? That's
1: exactly. But yeah. even the fire, even firefighters, even
0: firefighters, when they pull
1: up, they want to go to work right away. Wait a minute, hold on. Sure. You know, sure. and so somebody's got to be in charge of them. And somebody's got to. So you set up, the, you set up a, a base where they can come to. You set up staging where you're going to use them right away. And of course, yeah. that was yeah. later on in the incident itself. So the and incident system really dictated it.
0: And is this something that the Los Angeles Fire Department still uses?
1: Absolutely. It's the core of what. Or well, let's let me put it this way. I've been retired ten years. Uh, if they're not using it, I mean, they're not. They're not. not I, I know they use it. I know yeah, they use it. They have to. It's, yeah. it's In fact, what we developed in, in in LA City in Southern California is nationwide now with the NIMS. So I mean, uh, so it, they use it constantly.
0: I, I think that's just something that um, I know. I know you. Uh, and others who put that system in place are yes. very proud of that i mean you became oh, the model here in la became the model for the yeah, nation yeah you
1: know i mean i taught i taught high rise in the command for 20 years in the state and around the country so right. uh, we were we were really dialed in on this in the command and so thank goodness we were i um, mean i don't know uh how many people we saved at that particular deal because like i say it was so chaotic and everything was happening mm-hmm. so fast but the issue of the bodies, and most of them weren't trauma. They mostly suffocated.
0: Wow. And
1: so, I mean, we'd open up the deal, here's another body, here's another body, here's mm-hmm. three in the bed. You know, a wow. lot of them were kids, young, young people, because there was a, a college close by Northridge, I think, and this was the place where they went. Think, and it was, and another incident, another what happened was that it was a holiday. I think it was Martin Luther King. So a lot of people uh, weren't, right. weren't there. They had gone for the long weekend. And Thank so it, it, yeah, it really wasn't as as full as it normally would have been with people, so that was a blessing on our on our on our side. Yeah.
0: You know, let's look forward a little bit. Is Los okay. Angeles ready for the next earthquake?
1: Uh <laughs> you know, I I've been gone ten years and and I really haven't gone back too much. You know, I, I yeah, left the job yeah. with great feelings and love for the department, but it, it's moved on. But you know, with guys uh You know, and Frank Borden was one of the originators of both uh, the urban search and rescue and incident command. And I'm sure he still has a handle in teaching all over the country and through the city. But uh, they've done the the community emergency response teams, which would be a great help. Although at times they could be a pain also, but the incident (laughs) command system can handle those because they're an adjunct Mm -hmm. to the firefighting Mm -hmm. forces. But you still can't commit them in places where they're going to be in danger themselves. So uh, I think I think as anybody could be, they are. Although uh, the, the force has been reduced, what I understand, we're over 300 people. You know what I'm saying? That's one-third of the fire department. One-tenth of the fire department. 300 mm-hmm. well, out of 3,300 members when I was on the job, that's a big gouge out. I don't know. You know, given the earthquake there, and, and you only talk about six-point whatever it was, I, I don't know if we could handle it as well now as we did then. I'm sure the people uh, trained up on it. I mean, I'm sure that they would have given the ability, given the opportunity, they do the best they could. But when you run out of people, you can only do so much.
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to how many bodies do you have, how many That's well-trained exact, bodies yeah, this, do you have exactly to do your right. work. Exactly right.
1: And now they've got, I've got, they, they've really advanced. You know, like when we went to 9/11, all the stuff they had. I mean, it's so different now and so high, highly technical you know, that uh, they can do a lot better with the with the urban search and rescue. And I think they've got three or four of them in the city now that are fully equipped rather than the one we had at that time. So but it always uh, comes
0: down to how many trained people do you have to, that's correct. to use that equipment, right?
1: That's correct. Right. And then, you know, as you go into the state mutual aid disaster plan, what they bring in to help. But the original issue is right at the beginning. What can we do right at the beginning? Because that's where it's going to happen. And that's where we were fortunate. You know that I got up there as quick as I did. That I had Stevie Bascom there. That we started. Company started attaching themselves to the incident, and we were able to use them in a timely sequence using the incident command system, and not only to in a timely sequence, but to the best availability of of the equipment and the men we had. So,
0: when you look back on that day, I mean, what what's what's the first thought that comes to mind? That thank goodness we did what we did. You, you, know, you know, thank God that
1: I. You know what I think I say to myself: Thank goodness I was there. You know, because I, and I'm not saying I'm not disparaging anybody. You know, mm-hmm. but I mean, thank God Stevie Bascom was there, because we had people who were con- conversant with the incident command system. We had people who were conversant with urban search and rescue. We're able to put a good incident command system in, and I, and you know what? If you do it, that's what they paid me for, and I had the opportunity to do it. I did it to the best of my ability. And, and uh, I, think it, I think overall, it was a set successful operation, even though we lost 16 people. And they were gone at the beginning. There was no way we were gonna save them. They were buried in that the first floor. About 12 that afternoon, <clears throat> we had set the command port because there was apparatus parked beside us. They had an aftershock that took a, a, a ladder truck, came about two foot off the ground, you know, with the aftershock. And, I mean, it looked like a a bunch of uh, honeybees coming out of the nest as the the rescuers came out of the building because, you know, afraid of... But, see, but the system allowed for that Mm because we had the safety people there with them. Get out. Come on right now. And they had a safe exit. They didn't commit themselves in so far that they couldn't get out. But I was so proud of the guys that were there that day. It was just outstanding. And they did a great, great job.
0: You must look back on January 17th, 1994 as one of... One of uh, one of the most important days in your career, yeah. Oh,
1: absolutely! No, absolutely! It really, really, truly was, and I, I hope I was up to it, and I think I was. And you know, I mean, uh, given what we had, we did the best we could. So,
0: well, Chief Robert Aceeo, thank you so much for being a part of our Northridge Remembrance twenty years later. Uh, podcast for My Safe LA, and um, it's just been a joy and a real education to talk
1: to you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, and thank you for thinking about me.
0: This is a My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety Podcast. Make sure to visit us at MySafeLA.org.